Welcome to Harvest Beyond Sunday, a podcast that seeks to equip and inform the members of Harvest Church. Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Sonia Watkins. I have the privilege of being the Women's Ministry Director here at Harvest and recording a podcast, Beyond Sunday, with our very own Lauren Weird. Lauren is a um, teacher on the uh, teaching team, as well as a small group leader, writer, speaker, and uh, was our speaker for our gathering for our Christmas gathering that got canceled but is joining me today welcome Lauren thank you we're pondering this Advent season what does it really mean when Jesus says I am the light of the world to answer that question Lauren's going to briefly trace the theme of light through scripture and hopefully From that vantage point, we'll understand more of Jesus' self-revealing statement, and we'll consider the implications that following the light of the world ought to have in our lives. We're so grateful you're listening either by yourself or with a small group, and our suggestion is that if you have the opportunity of listening to this podcast as you greet the morning sunrise with a cup of coffee or watch the evening sunset, or sit in front of a cozy fire, that the element of light in front of you will create an atmosphere for this message to get into your hearts in more ways than one. At the beginning of time, God created the heavens and the earth. That earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And into that unordered and dark space, the first words boomed across, let there be light. At God's word, light appeared, waking the earth, filling it with brilliance and the radiant hope of life. On the fourth day, when God placed the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky, he set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. Light has authority. Light rules over the day and over the night. God entrusted another of his creations with authority. On the sixth day, when God made man in his own likeness, he crowned male and female with dominion, dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. His creating voice that woke up the earth with light now turned to them and his word lit up their inner world with order and knowledge and life. But soon the powers of darkness would slither and creep and crouch, making humankind its prey, luring and enticing the desire to become like the creator God. At the transgression of God's ordering word, sin extinguished the light in their souls. Though their eyes were open to their nakedness, they could not see as they once were able, because the light no longer ruled their hearts. Sin's effects covered every inch of man's soul, ushering in disorder and chaos, emptiness and ache, confusion and guilt, darkness and death. Just as darkness is separated from light, so God's people were severed from him. Disconnected from the source of light, man now dwelt imprisoned in his own blindness, unable to see the true reason for his existence. 
His purpose and identity were distorted without the light that guides, comforts, instructs, and heals. Humanity lived trapped in a deadly reality and did what was right in their own darkened eyes. Fast forward to a midnight promise when the powerful word of the Lord came to an old man in a vision. God brought Abraham outside on a dark night, placing before his eyes the multitude of stars stretched across the sky, saying, So shall your offspring be. God promised deliverance from the darkness to create a people for himself, to give them the light of life. And he did so with the twinkling visual Abraham would remember every night he stepped back under those little lights in the night sky. God did deliver his people from slavery in Egypt and brought them to himself, the true light, that they might be his treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a set-apart people oriented around the light of his word and presence, reflecting the light of life to the world around them. To them he would give his law, a light to bring form to their chaos and insight to their confusion. The law would bring to light holiness and righteousness and the knowledge of God and his glory to their worshiping hearts. But God's glory was more than they could handle. As the people prepared to receive the law, terror consumed them as they witnessed the glory of God descending on the mountain, thunders and lightnings, loud trumpet blasts, the mountain itself trembling because the Lord descended on it in fire. While the people withdrew from God's voice saying, do not let God speak to us lest we die, Moses went up the fiery mountain and listened intently. While the people exchanged the glory of God for images resembling animals, Moses jealously yearned for more of God's glory. That light had entered Moses' soul and he wanted it ablaze within him. So he pleaded with God, show me your glory. God did show Moses his glory by hiding him in the cleft of a rock, revealing only his back and proclaiming his name. God spoke the illuminating words that would in time be manifested in human flesh. After worshiping God and speaking with him, Moses descended the mountain glowing. His appearance was physically affected by beholding the glory of God. Well, just as Moses would veil his shining face to conceal what was passing away, a veil covered the hearts of the people whom God had chosen to receive his law, to bear his name, to reflect and represent his glory to the nations. Once in the promised land where God chose for his glory to dwell, the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They abandoned the Lord and went after other gods, ascribing glory to worthless, lifeless idols. They provoked the Lord to anger, and instead of reflecting the glory of God, they reflected the death they found in these idols. Ignorance, distress, oppression, and corruption. God gives judges, kings, and prophets imperfect but important bearers of light to direct the people back to their covenant God. But because they feared and treated as holy that which was not God, their darkness intensified, leading God to declare in Isaiah 8, 
it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Darkness covered the earth again, and thick darkness consumed the peoples. A darkness of pride and arrogance in desperate need of the voice of God to boom across it and order it with his word, to shed his light into human hearts, to regenerate life in the place of death. The landscape of the earth imaged a cavern so black only the rising sun of God himself could illuminate an otherwise hopeless situation. And we hear the words of prophecy. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light shone. To the people in darkness brought on by their own abandonment of God's word, God sends his son, proclaiming his name, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. This son was himself the creating word that woke up the earth with light. From John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This word became flesh and dwelt among men entrenched in darkness, revealing God's glory, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ embodied the knowledge of God and the name of God, proclaiming that whoever believed in his name would not perish but have everlasting life. He came to deliver a people by opening eyes that are blind and releasing from prison those who sit in darkness, to order the world with his rule and reign in a kingdom established in righteousness. And we hear this culminate when Jesus says in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you for sharing what God has given you in this Advent season. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, what is he really saying? There's a lot here, but I want to summarize at least two points. Number one, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's assertively claiming that he is the source of life and truth. Since Jesus is, in, is God himself, who is light, all of life is created, sustained, held together, and made possible by him. And in him stems not only the breath of life, but also the word of life, the gospel of our salvation. Jesus Christ entered fully into the darkness of death, and even the sun went dark at noonday. The ground beneath him trembled, and he was buried in the prison of a tomb. Yet he was vindicated by his righteous life to be the son of God and light spewed forth from that tomb when he rose from the dead. Since we've seen that the chief problem with men is their state of darkness and their love of darkness, in Christ we find the hope of resurrection from death to life. 
And if he is the source of our life, he's the source of truth. Light has authority. Light rules. Christ is the center of reality, illuminating life by his authoritative word and way. Christ brings the knowledge of life as it was meant to be lived, centered on God. And the second one is that Christ is the radiance of God's glory. This is how the author of Hebrews describes him. That glory of God that made the mountain tremble now restrained itself to fill the person of Jesus Christ. The same glory that sent terror into the hearts of those who witnessed it so that they might not sin now dwelt among men. We've all heard a child relentlessly shouting, look or watch, and we turn our eyes to see them in all their glory. And what do we do when we see them? We clap or cheer, sometimes genuine, sometimes not, but we recognize that that expression of glory requires a response. And when God calls us not merely to look, but to gaze at his glory, it compels a response. And when we look at God's glory, what do we see? While when Moses beheld God's glory, God made all his goodness pass before him and proclaimed his name, the entity to describe who he is. Christ manifests God's name perfectly, revealing him in radiant glory. And when we truly see Jesus, the only proper response is to worship. So if if we are following Jesus, the light of the world, not walking in darkness, how ought this affect our lives? It is life-altering. We who have trusted in Christ have literally been transferred from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of the beloved Son with an inheritance with the saints in light. We have become children of light. We have believed in His name and been given a new nature. And we are called to walk in the light. Let me read to you from Isaiah 60 verses 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising." Now we are called to arise and to shine because our light, who is the Lord, has come. God, who said, let light shine into the darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Picture a sun rising upon the earth. When it appears, the landscape changes entirely because the sun is beaming down on it, changing it from darkness to light. His glory will be seen upon us and we will shine. But now that we've understood what light means in the biblical context, it is not that we shimmer or sparkle. It is that our lives are adorned by keeping his word, by loving our neighbor, by righteousness and holiness. And with the language of light, it clarifies for us that this Christian life is not about performing, but reflecting, about placing ourselves before the light of the word. 
If we are reflectors, then we cannot shine unless we are close to the light. We obey this word to shine by gazing into the scriptures, beholding Christ there with unveiled face, transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, reflecting the light that brings order and peace and the knowledge of the glory of God to the dark world around us. In a world obsessed with comfort, we are those who believe that true comfort comes to those who mourn their own sin and the manifold ways God is not worshipped in this broken world. In a world gripped by fear and dread, we honor the Lord of hosts as holy. We let him be our fear and entrust our lives to him. In a culture consumed by its own interests, full of selfish ambition, we have the mind of Christ who humbled himself and came as a servant and a peacemaker. In a culture who constantly addresses one another with its own opinions, we are those who address one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In a culture of brazen entitlement, we are those who give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But this will not be true of us unless we are holding fast to the word of life. The light of his word must come into every shadow of our lives, ordering it around the God of light. Because as much as God's word is a lamp unto our past and a light unto our feet, and it is that, it is not merely meant to illuminate what to do or where to go. The Bible is meant to illuminate you. We must allow it to order our own residing darkness, our false ideas of reality, our distress, our confusion, our hurt, our hopelessness. The flesh remains a fierce contender for the darkness. God's light is to come into your heart, expose your sin, and cleanse you through confession. It's meant to be your greatest treasure, the source that renews you day by day so that you grow and mature in Christlikeness and experience the peace that comes with righteousness. But this is not merely for the pleasure of your own existence. God does this to signal to a crooked and twisted generation where true life is found. You carry around the hope of glory, which is Christ in you. Each of us contain a fire fanned to flame only through the word of God that draws others in with its light and warmth and alerts them to the holiness of the God we worship. So let me make two final applications from this. Number one, pursue righteous living. When we consider God's story of light and darkness, we see that the darkness we've experienced this year through the pandemic, politics, injustice movements, natural disasters, turmoil, relational strife, it's actually not new. God plans to deal with this darkness once and for all at the end of time where night will be no more. And we live with our hope set on that day where our God will be our everlasting light. We are people who know that the most terrifying darkness has been dealt with. The forgiveness of our sins that kept us separated from the God of light and made us holy in his sight. And we hold out this truth to the world. But it can be overwhelming or paralyzing to know what to do with all our confusing emotions in the present, what to do in response to the varying shades of darkness we witness in the news and all around us. 
It has been such a helpful discovery for me as I process all we've experienced this year and then through this consideration of Jesus as the light of the world that when I open my Bible to be transformed, I am not merely being faithful in response to God's call on my life, but I'm also actively responding to the darkness around me. God will bring us into situations where our character will be revealed. And if we have not been committed to the light's agenda of sanctifying us, then we will miss these opportunities for light to shine into the darkness. Pursuing righteous living in light of the gospel of Christ is an offering of hope to this dark world. And finally, pursue God's glory. When we desire man's approval, acknowledgement, recognition, or honor, what we are doing is looking to the people we admire, ascribing to them the glory God alone is due. And we hope that they will bestow on us their glory if we do something they might think worthy or if we get close enough to them. And just like the Israelites who began to reflect their lifeless idols, what do we look like when we reflect the glory of man? We're anxious, apathetic, bitter, restless, workaholics. I could go on. Jesus said in John 5, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Let us repent from seeking glory from anywhere other than in the face of Christ. Glory carries with it the connotation of heaviness or weightiness, and when we seek it from man, it burdens and crushes us. But when we seek God's glory, His glory humbles us, and we live as we were meant to live, and consequently, His glory will come to be seen upon us. Thank you, Lauren, for blessing us with your words. And if you want to dive deeper into some of the scriptures Lauren referenced today, you can check out her Advent plan, I Am the Light of the World, on her website, wordsworthnoting.com. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you.